Welcome to Oikos. How are y'all doing? We are in the book of Acts. We're actually going to be looking at chapter 13. So if you want to get your Bibles out, whether you do it electronically or you do it the old way, we do have Bibles in the chairs or over by the offering table. You can go over there and get a Bible if you need one. But we'll be in chapter 13 today. What I love about Acts is that it's a group of story after story after story after story, and there's so much packed into each one of these stories that today we're going to go a little bit differently. Normally, I kind of go almost verse by verse, and we kind of work through it. Today, there were just a couple things that I saw in this group of passages that I wanted to just hit. And one of them was just something that I think inflicts our society, inflicts our church, and inflicts our families on a consistent basis. And so as we look at this passage, we're going to dig into more of a topical thing rather than just a verse-by-verse -verse, um, exposition. So as we look at this, chapter 13, we're going to be in verse 32. The chapters and Acts are pretty long, so there's a lot of verses for us to look at. We're going to be in verse 32. Just read along with me. And now we are here to bring you this good news. The promise is made to our ancestors, and God has now fulfilled it for us, their descendants, by raising Jesus. This is what the second psalm says about Jesus. You are my son. Today I have become your father. For God had promised to raise him from the dead, not leaving him to rot in the grave. He said, I will give you the sacred blessings I promised to David. Another psalm explains it more fully. You will not allow your Holy One to rot in the grave. This is not a reference to David, for after David had done the will of God in his own generation, he died and he was buried with his ancestors, and his body decayed. No, as a reference to someone else, someone who God raised and whose body did not decay. Brothers, listen, we are here to proclaim that through this man Jesus there is forgiveness for your sins. Everyone who believes in him is declared right with God, something the law of Moses could never do. Be careful. Don't let the prophet's words apply to you, for they said, look, you mockers, be amazed and die, for I'm doing something in your own day, something you wouldn't believe, even if someone told you about it. As Paul and Barnabas left the synagogue that day, the people begged them to speak about these things again next week. Many Jews and devout converts to Judaism followed Paul and Barnabas, and the two men urged them to continue to rely on the grace of God. The following week, almost the entire city turned out to hear them preach the word of the Lord. But when some of the Jews saw the crowds, they were jealous. So they slandered Paul and argued against whatever he said. Then Paul and Barnabas spoke out boldly and declared, it was necessary that we first preach the word of God to you Jews, but since you have rejected it and judged yourselves unworthy of eternal life, we will offer it to the Gentiles. For the Lord gave us this command when he said, I have made you a light to the Gentiles to bring salvation to the farthest corners of the earth. When the Gentiles heard this, they were very glad and thanked the Lord for his message, and all who were chosen for eternal life became believers. So the Lord's message spread throughout that region. Then the Jews stirred up influential re religious women and the leaders of the city, and they incited a mob against Paul and Barnabas 
and ran them out of town. So they shook the dust from their feet as a sign of rejection and went to the town of Iconium. And the believers were filled with joy and with the Holy Spirit. So if we look at verse 38, this is a key part of the Christian message. Really, Paul was preaching a sermon, so you get two sermons today. You just heard the first one, and now we're going to go into the second one. But it was the key point of his sermon, and it was verse 38. Brothers, listen, we are here to proclaim that through this man, Jesus, there is forgiveness for your sins. Everyone who believes in him is declared right, or the Greek would also translate this as justified with God, something the law of Moses could never do. This key thing of justification would later be spelled out to the group, and if you look at the letter to the Galatians, you'll see, because this is really his follow-up when he writes the letter to the Galatians, is a follow-up to these people who received that grace that they could do nothing for their salvation. That even following the law of Moses as best as they could was not enough. And he'd write this letter to the Galatians, which was part of this region, because they later felt like they had to become fully Jewish, Jew to, be, to receive the grace of Jesus. They felt like they had to get circumcised and follow all the Jewish regulations so that they could have the full salvation. And Paul would write to them, that's not where salvation comes. It comes only from Jesus. It's through his act that you're saved, not through your acts. It's not because you're a good person that you receive the grace from God. It's because God said, through the blood of my son, I will make you my people. Through the blood of my son, your sins will be washed away. Through the blood of my son, you will be made right. That's actually what justification is. It's that continuous forgiveness. Because they knew at that point that they would sin, that they had sinned, and that they would sin again. And in the law of Moses, they offered sacrifice of animals to take care of the old sins. But they had nothing to take care of the, of the sins that they would commit again and again and again. And that's where Jesus came in. Can we all say amen for Jesus? That's good because you're here and it'd be kind of weird if you're here and you weren't like, all right, I love Jesus. We love Jesus because he said you're right. Not because of what you've done, but because of what I did. Because I love you that much. The second verse that I wanted us to look at, you guys are like, wow, we're already to the second thing. This is going to be the shortest sermon. It won't be. <laughs> the following week, almost the entire city turned out to hear them preach the word of the Lord. Isn't that amazing? I mean, this is like the preacher's dream. You <laughs> preach once, and then all of a sudden, the whole city turns out because it was just so awesome. That's never happened for me. Okay, but when some of the Jews saw the crowds, they were jealous, 
So they slandered Paul and argued against whatever he said. I think this is a critical thing that hits so many of us individually, corporately, through every aspect of our life. I've rarely met someone who isn't jealous of something or has a moment of jealousy. Jealousy seems to be one of those sins that grabs onto us even when we're not aware. In fact, that's the most dangerous time, isn't it? So are we envious or jealous of other families, churches, or people? I want you to just take a moment and think about this last week. What were the thoughts that came through your mind when you heard about something? For pastors, I'll tell you what it looks like. Here's the little inside scoop. Everything's going fine. It's good. It's beautiful. And then you get your copy of the Lutheran Witness. I don't think it's called that now. I think they changed the name. I just saw it the other day, and I was like, what? It's no longer the Lutheran Witness. It's like now something else. And you guys have no idea what I'm talking about. <laughs> it's, a, it's a magazine about the churches in the Lutheran church. And you look in there and you see something and you go, oh, I know that person. I went to college with that person. They put them in charge of that. <laughs> like a little bit of jealousy. Or you see on the news about this church that's doing something. That's good, and you should rejoice with them, but instead you go, why aren't we doing that? Or even worse, we did that, and we didn't get coverage like that. What's wrong with this place? Or maybe you go somewhere. Maybe this is beyond a pastor, but it oftentimes I think happens to pastors, but I think it happens to individuals in the church. You go to another church for a baptism, a funeral, a wedding, whatever, and you walk in and you go, wow, these chairs have cushions. <laughs> or, man, did you see that bathroom? It doesn't look like it's from the 1940s. <laughs> you could just wipe your hand under and water runs. Or you... You hear the music and you go, you know, Jason's good. <laughs> but that was like amazing. <laughs> or you hear the, the preacher and you go, yeah, we got Lytle. All of a sudden you start to say, I wish we had, I wish. I wish we had that. You can do this whether you're in a church. It can be in your business. You can walk into another office and you can go, yeah, I don't have an office like that. You can be in a job working and go, man, I wish I had a schedule like that. You can be at school and go, man, I wish my school was known for that. 
you could get a degree and go, I wish I would have got the other degree. What are the things that you're jealous of? The times of my life that I've become jealous, I could compare it very easily to an example of I worked really, really hard to get $10,000. It took me 20 years to get $10,000. This isn't for real, although it could be. But I worked really, really hard. And actually, I could make this a real example. I worked really, really hard to get about $7,000 working in a grocery store and stuff to prepare to pay for college. And then when I went to college, I got penalized because my parents owned a business. Even though they didn't make a lot in the business, the business had assets. And even though those assets, if they were cashed out, would mean that we'd make no more money, it was penalizing against us. And then they penalized me again because I had $7,000 in the bank. So another guy comes in, and he didn't work at, at all, at all during high school. He just went to high school and had fun all the time. This sounds like a woo-woo, right? And they give him a, like a $10,000 grant to go because, you know, he didn't have any money. And I'm pulling money out of the savings, out of the savings. Pretty soon I have no money. And then I get that. But then I go, boy, I wish I wouldn't have worked. But that's not the truth. Because what the one guy gained by getting 10000 or 7000 or whatever he got, like that, I got a lot of experience working for that 7000 Even though, at the moment, I was like, this just really... And I won't say it, because I get in trouble all the time, but even though the kids are over there, it's a word that you guys don't appreciate. So, But it really did just, you know. So I say those words, I wish I had that, or I wish I would have done that, or I wish that could have happened to me. But at the end, the Lord was inviting me into something different. I think we get in jealous about all kinds of things that we think that we need or we want. We may want that larger house, but we don't calculate how much cleaning and maintenance and everything else and taxes, thank you, banker, taxes come with that larger house. But we want it because we don't have it. Or we want that corner office job. We want we want all the respect. We want the title. We want the pay. How many of you wanted that? Well, you guys are humble people. But we don't calculate the responsibility, the time, the stuff that comes with all that. We want so many things that sometimes we get jealous about things we don't even know that we want. Sometimes we don't even know what we want, but we're jealous because we don't know what we want. Because someone has it all figured out and we don't. So we get jealous that they have what they think, life, all figured out, 
and we're struggling trying to figure it out. I've heard it said more than once that many, not many, that some people believe that Sarah and I have this charmed life. That people believe that we get up on Sunday morning to come to worship and our kids just all say, yes, sir, and yes, ma'am, after they got done reading the Bible for an hour. <laughs> and play the little praise music in the background. And we walk out the door singing hallelujahs, and we get in the car, and there's no, no fights. And we get here on time, and we walk in, and everybody's just like, they're just so joyous. And we've never yelled at our children. In fact, this morning, let me just give you a glimpse. It's actually pretty, I only broke up one fight. And I thought it was going really smooth. In fact, it was going so smooth, we got into the church and everything was going fine. About 15, 20 minutes later, actually five minutes after that, someone said, I don't know, have you seen Amaria? And I'm like, Amaria? She could be anywhere. <laughs> I'm sure she's fine. She's independent. About 20 minutes, then some, my wife comes up and says, I'm looking for Amaria. She is nowhere to be found. And I'm thinking, she's probably out on the playground, building some little city, doing something. Who knows what she's doing? And then all of a sudden, I remembered that when we left the car, I saw Breezy get out. I saw Zach get out. I saw Aaliyah get out with her mom. But I didn't see Amaria. <laughs> Amaria was left in the car. <laughs> so we're like class A wonderful parents. Everyone should follow our example, because that's what we do. We make sure that our kids all make it to church, and then we lock them somewhere. <laughs> Some people think that we don't have any problems ever financially, that we're just able to make it through because God's given us a charm life, that we're able to give 10% or more, and we just do that on a regular basis which we have, but we just never have a problem financially, that we wouldn't really understand what sacrifice is because it's always been easy for us. That just isn't the truth. In fact, I was just going through our budget. Many of you think that we must just like, oh, of course they've got their budget figured out. So I was going through our budget because it's January, and we're going through it, and I was calculating all the things we needed to do. I went through everything, and then <clears throat> I said to Sarah, I'm like, we've got a lot of cash left over. This is like awesome. Look at this. I mean, we could add to this, and we could do this, and we can do that. Isn't that cool? And then she goes, did you remember the tithe? And I said, oh, something. Oh, no. 
we're going to have to cut. And we started through and cut, cut, cut. It's still good. Because I remember our first days being married. And that was a much different, much different budget. Much different. And yet we still had a lot of joy. Some people think that we don't have headstrong children, that we don't understand what it takes to discipline. Because our children just miraculously do what they're told. They even stay in a locked car. (laughs) I love you, Amaria. The fact is, we've even talked about counseling. Because sometimes we have these outbursts where we have to ask our child, if you really hate us, that's a problem. Is this real hate or is this just your words? Because if it's real hate, that's a problem. So we can't understand what it's, ha- what it's like to have normal kids. Some of us think that Sarah and I have a golden touch, that whatever we do, it just turns out. We can never, ever fail. I don't have enough time to tell you how many times I failed. One of the first times was I applied for a radio station. It was one of my first jobs that I had to apply for, and I didn't even get a call back. Another time, I wanted to be a leader, and they said, you're not assertive enough. So I became assertive. I have failed time and time again. Sarah has failed time and time again. Our kids have failed time and time again. We're not really the family to be jealous of. Our marriage, many of you think, has just been roses. We got married and we just were lifted up with no arguments ever. And actually, we have been pretty blessed. But it's really because my wife is pretty incredible. And she puts up with me. And she loves me. And I love her. But that doesn't mean that we haven't had hard times or we've had to face things that others may not have wanted to face. We've had to work through difficult problems Sometimes we've had to seek advice from others. The truth is, all of us have experienced difficulty and pain in our lives. All of us have experienced challenges in our lives. Yet many of us look at someone else and we go, I wish I had that. Satisfaction almost never seems to be in our grasp. It's always just a little bit outside of our reach. Many of you could compare yourself to many better families than the Lytles. And I know you have. I know that we have. I know that there's been times that we've said, oh, I wish we were like that. In that moment that you see the kids all just walking with their parents nicely through the grocery store, you go, oh, I wish we had that. We've got around all four kids 
and from different aisles back together and say, you don't need everything. But one of the things that I've seen when jealousy creeps in is that we start to look at the good life that we do have. Sarah and I and the kids, we really have a good life. And the Lord has blessed us incredibly. And he protects us incredibly. I'm thankful that it wasn't a hot day today. Honestly, 100% thankful. Maybe we would have been more aware because it was a hot day if our child wasn't with us. So I'm thankful that it happened on a day that was a cold day. Because Amari is with us, right? And no matter what, I know that many, many times, in fact, the Schmitz aren't here today, but Sylvia, there's been so many times that I've left our house door unlocked. There's been many times when our house door, before we did the renovation in the, old, the older house, that we left it unlocked and even worse, that sometimes it wouldn't latch properly, so we'd wake up in the middle of the night and the front door is wide open. Because I grew up on a farm, and I, the locking the door just isn't natural to me. You never locked your doors. So I know the Lord has protected us even in our inability to protect ourselves. Even in our stupidity, I know that he's protected us. Not because he has to. I believe because he wants to. And I know when you look in your own life, you've seen those times too. Not because of your ability, but because of his. You have a good life. I think Oikos as a church has a good church. Not because of our ability, but 100% because the Lord has blessed it. Right? Just come on, get, make me feel good today. So I, right? Yeah. You have a good church. You have a good place. Now this will sound weird. You have good leaders. We have our faults, but the Lord has done good things. And 100%, when I look around and I review last year, I say, yeah, he's done some really good things through some really good people that he's chosen to work through. We may not be the richest, hippest, coolest, awesomest church, but for me, it's the best church for me. Because this is where the Lord has called me to be. And that I am thankful for. And that is something that I think is pretty awesome. I think it's pretty awesome that we're all here today. It's pretty awesome that the Lord has made you special. Exactly the way he wanted you. To speak to people that he places in front of you. To give you experiences that can speak into their experience to testify about the Lord who has done awesome things in your life and in mine. See, what the Lord does is that he gives us an invitation. 
Sarah and I aren't experiencing a blessed life because we're the Lytles. We're not experiencing a blessed life because I'm a pastor and she's a teacher. It has nothing to do with it. I see many, many pastor families that are messed up. Really, it's sad. I see many, many teacher or public servant families that are messed up. I see some people who do great things in this world, but their life is messed up. Now, we have, our life is messed up in its own way. But the Lord has blessed it because of an invitation that we took. An invitation to walk with Him. An invitation that He says upon us, you are my children, simply because you believe in my Son. And because of that belief, I am a good, good father to you. A good father who cares about the abstract and your average everyday life. He cares about what you do in the big picture, and he cares about what you do each minute because he's your dad. He cares about the choices you make. He cares about where you spend your money. He cares about how you live your life. He cares about all those things. Not so that he can come behind and whap you on the head. So he can come behind and say, well done, my good and faithful servant. Well done, son. Well done, daughter. I love you. See, envy and jealousy will only get you in one place, and that's dissatisfaction maybe even bitterness with what the Lord has already done. And he's done enough. He did enough when he sent his son to die for us. All the other stuff is just extra. It's icing on the cake. And yet when we get jealous, we start saying, you know what, the cake is not enough. Jesus isn't enough. And we don't want to say that here in the church, but I know that we have all said it at one point. You know, Jesus is good and all, but I wish I had this. And yet I think he's calling us today to get out of that mindset. So how do you get out of that mindset? And I believe it's one easy yet arduous step, and that's to be grateful and to give thanks. We've done the exercise before where we want you to give thanks for everything that you can think of, from the socks on your feet to water that runs out of your faucet to having a toilet to sit on, that you give thanks for those things that we would say are everyday common things, but you begin to see that in the everyday common, the Lord has done good things for you, and it's all attributed to Him. So you give thanks for where you are at, even if it's not exactly where you think you want to be. You give thanks for it, that right now in this moment in time, he's placed me here in this relationship, in this job, in this house, in this car, in this friendship, in this family. And I can surely think of something to give thanks for. 
How do you become content? The same way. By giving thanks for what you already have. And when you start numerating all the things that you have, that you can give thanks for, there's really no logical reason to not be content. But there's still an emotional thing that goes on, right? But you combat that by giving thanks. So when I become jealous, when I become jealous, and I wish I would have known this when I was 18, and I became jealous of those people who got grants like that, and I didn't, that I would have started to give thanks, that I had a dad who wanted to spend time with us, so he made us go to work with him. And he paid us. Not a lot, (laughs) but he paid us. And it was his masterful plan that he worked so hard and didn't spend time with his family, so this was a way he could spend time with his family. He would take us out to the middle of nowhere, and we would dig ditches. And he wasn't perfect. He would yell at us. (laughs) He would swear. He was not the church man. He was an adult convert because he met my mom. Because he didn't know Jesus before he met her. But he knew that family was important because it was something that he didn't have. And he was thankful for. So with all the stuff that is wrong with my dad, I can give thanks that he wanted to be a good dad. I can give thanks. I can't even begin with my father-in-law. Because he and I are so different, and yet there are so many similarities. And when I see the similarities, I don't want to give thanks. But what I see in Wayne Glover is a deep passion for his family as well. And so when I look back in history, I say for Sarah and I, if we're going to continue anything within our family, is that they would see in me a dad who loves them, who may not be perfect, who may do stupid things, but is committed to their well-being and their life here on earth. And then I want to add to that, that they have a dad that's not just committed to their well-being and life here on this earth, but it's seen past this life. It's committed that they walk with Jesus for the rest of their life. That's all I need to do. I may screw up. I may leave my kid in the car. But I'm going to give thanks that I got to watch and learn from my own dad and then learn from my wife's dad as well. The words said to Jesus are now said to us. You are my son or daughter. Today I become your father. May we hold on to that truth and that identity, that we don't have a father in heaven who is marking down a list of what you've done to decide whether or not you're good enough, that we don't have a father in heaven who says, I will not call you my son or my daughter until you achieve this, that we have a father in heaven who says, because of what my son has done, today you are my son and my daughter. 
Today you are my son and my daughter, even if tomorrow you choose to do something that doesn't resemble who I am. I will still call you my son and daughter, and you will still have a home here with me. That's our Father in heaven. Not some distant God that does some distant judging, but a God who judges justly through the death and the resurrection of his son. So we give thanks for Jesus. We give thanks for the spirit who indwells in us and lives in us and guides us. And we give thanks for the Father. Today you are my son or daughter. And today I have become your father. Let's pray. Heavenly Father, jealousy can creep in in many ways. Just like the Jews of that community who were so thankful to hear the words that Paul and Barnabas had preached about a new life with you, a life that wasn't based on a sacrifice that was not complete, but instead was based on the life of Jesus. And they were so excited until they realized that instead of people listening to them, they were starting to listen to Paul and Barnabas. And they got jealous. And then they tried to destroy everything that was happening, even though it was good. Lord, I pray that you would work in our hearts. And I pray right now that we would take the time in our own heart to reveal and repent the things that we are jealous of, Then in our mind right now, we would just name them. And in the name of Jesus, I pray that we would be healed. That those things that we're jealous of, you would replace with thoughts of thanksgiving. So Lord, in our hearts, where we are jealous, open up those hearts and help us to repent so that we may walk with you in thanksgiving and praise. We pray this in the name of Jesus because we know that when we pray in his name, things are done. So may we be thankful for those areas where we've been jealous before and they are absent this week. And for those areas where we are healed and then maybe we get sick again, that we would return again to you, Lord, and know that you will heal us once again. Lord, we pray that we would give thanks for you as a good father who takes care of us and watches over us. That's powerful enough to be not just the eternal God of the universe who created all things, but also the gentle father who cares about every minute of the day and actually will come to us simply because we call on him. Who will listen to our hurts who will listen to our words, and who will love us regardless of what we've done. We thank you, Heavenly Father, for your spirit who will never leave us, who's always guiding us, and calls us out to follow your Son. And for Jesus, Lord, we thank you because in him we've received everything, we've gained everything, and there's nothing more that we need. Give us eyes to begin to recognize this. That life without Jesus is not life. 
that life without Jesus is not life. It is a deception that does not have hope or a future. May we look to live life with Jesus. May we accept that invitation to walk with him each day, to live life God's way instead of our own way, and to begin to see that every good thing that we have comes from you. In your name we pray, amen.